0: Reporting from the Sunshine City, St. Petersburg, Florida, overlooking beautiful Tampa Bay, this is the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute. This podcast is dedicated to medical professionals and patients around the world interested in diagnostic and interventional ultrasound. Our podcast will discuss everything ultrasound, from news, trends, career paths, new technology, and industry updates. Hosted by Lori Green and Trisha Rio of Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, they bring over four decades of experience in the ultrasound profession and are here to guide you through this journey. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on the Sonography Lounge, where we talk about everything ultrasound. My name is Lori Green, and I'll be co-hosting today's episode with Trisha Rio.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome. Welcome.
1: Thanks everybody for joining us. We're here in what's normally sunny Florida, but today we've got a little pending thunderstorm coming. We're watching a little maybe water spot that might want to come out there, so we're hoping that holds off on us. So, but we thank everybody for joining us, and today we are excited to talk about uh, MSK ultrasound. Specifically, we're going to be talking about carpal tunnel syndrome, and as you know, that's a common condition that causes some pain and numbness, tingling in the hand and arm area as a result of median nerve compression, and historically, uh, clinicians would look at the clinical history and combine that with some nerve conduction testing, and that was the primary method for diagnosing carpal tunnel syndrome, but. Uh, now we have ultrasound available to us, which has played an important role to ensure that uh, the patient has a correct diagnosis and to bro- provide some more guidance as to um, other less invasive uh, interventional treatment options that they may have over traditional surgery. We are excited to be here today to discuss carpal tunnel syndrome with Dr. Craig Chappell. He's an osteopathic physician from Pleasant Grove, Utah, and he is in private practice and the owner of Intuit Medical, specializing in regenerative medicine and non-surgical orthopedics. He's board certified in family medicine, sports medicine, and osteopathic manual therapy. And we have also had the privilege of working with him here at Gulf Coast Ultrasound as one of our uh, expert MSK faculty um, for many years. So welcome. Dr. Chapel. Thanks. Glad to have you with us today and uh, to talk with you about carpal tunnel. So I know your practice primarily revolves around providing non-surgical orthopedics and regenerative medicine, and you're always using cutting-edge procedures to get your patients back to functioning with little discomfort and minimal downtime. So in regards to our discussion today on carpal tunnel syndrome, um, can you explain to us about what your process is of evaluating patients who present with symptoms that are suspicious for CTS?
3: Yes, I totally can. Um, I'm super pumped to be with you today because there's nothing I like more than talking about carpal tunnel syndrome. Um, (laughs) Actually, there's a lot that I'd rather talk about, but (laughs) since that's the topic of today's conversation. um, Yeah. So typically people present uh, with, with, I guess, the symptoms of carpal tunnel syndrome, which are uh, numbness, tingling, pain, in the distribution of the median nerve, the median nerve is the nerve that's compromised uh, in carpal tunnel syndrome, and the compromise occurs at the wrist. Um, so, if, if you, so, I don't know. You'd see a lot of stuff, and a lot of people have been to, before I see these people have been attempting conservative management of carpal tunnel, which could be uh, night splinting, um, cortisone injections, uh, doing nothing, just shaking it out and hoping it hoping it goes away. Um, those, those types of things. But when they present, they generally have the complaint of, Hey, I have numbness. In my hand I believe it's carpal tunnel and they say in most cases hey it gets worse at night it gets worse while I'm driving gripping grassy working with my hands those types of th- those types of things and it generally gets better when I quit doing what exacerbates it or I shake it out so at nighttime they wake up their hands are numb and they, and they end up shaking it out to, to basically they, they feel like it's to get blood flow to the nerve it's not really that it's actually to decompress the nerve a little bit um, and allow the metabolites inside the nerve because it flows like a, a kind of a river back and forth um, to 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 flow, so it's not like pinched off or kinked off like a hose. And so once they resolve that thing, it generally feels better for a, a little while until they fall back asleep and then uh, end up in um, having to shake it out again. But that's generally what they can, they complain of. Um, some some uh, can I can I talk about something else that bothers me about carpal tunnel right yeah, now? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Go for it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I, I, I see a lot of stuff like on YouTube. Um, and, and, and different things and, and generally some sort of uh, medical uh, practitioner um, uh, setting like hey carpal tunnel comes from your neck no carpal tunnel does not come from your neck so uh, adjustment of your neck does not resolve carpal tunnel symptoms you can have compression of a nerve in your neck that goes to your hand but we wouldn't refer to that as carpal tunnel syndrome carpal tunnel syndrome has to be nerve compression at the wrist um, so, so Worst case scenario, you could have compression in your neck and at your wrist, which is called double crush syndrome, but adjusting your neck does not resolve carpal tunnel syndrome. So that's one of my, one of my uh, pet peeves because the people that are saying that d- don't actually know what carpal tunnel syndrome is. Um, and, and so a lot of people are like, hey, I had my neck adjusted and it didn't help. Well, that's because you have carpal tunnel syndrome. So um, that, that, that generally won't help. But once they get to my office, we, we can make that diagnosis. And I don't know if you want to jump into that yet or not, or if you've got other questions before we get there.
1: Sure. That's fine. Keep going.
3: Um, so, so people get to my office because you mentioned earlier that the, historically the gold standard for diagnosis of carpal tunnel syndrome was, was clinical, uh, clinical evaluation. Meaning if you have numbness and or pain and or uh, tingling sensory changes in the distribution of the median nerve that's the thumb so it's the palmar surface not the not the extensor surface so that's the the palm of your hand would be the thumb index finger middle finger and half the ring finger would generally be the the distribution of the median nerve. And if it goes on long enough, you'll start to get atrophy of of the muscle that attaches to the thumb uh, as well. And you've actually seen these people in, in different settings. It's usually older males that never get these things taken care of. Um, but you'll see them at war- the carnival or on the beach or whatever. And you'll notice like, holy crap, that guy's hand is sunken in. Um, that's carpal tunnel syndrome that was left untreated. Um, so, um, so you've seen it before, but you just didn't do anything about it. So... Um, so, so, so that's carpal tunnel as well. And so we ex- examine these people. We, we check their sensory. We check their strength. We check these things. And clinically, we can make the diagnosis of carpal tunnel syndrome. And then to ensure ourselves this is indeed carpal tunnel syndrome, we want to prove to it ourselves this is entrapment at the wrist and not the neck. Um, because if I do a carpal tunnel release and it's a neck problem, I just did nothing for the patient. So we, we want to ensure ourselves that that is the case at the wrist. So we want to test it. Historically, the gold standard would be what's called a nerve conduction study. So they, they do basically measure how fast and how um, well uh, uh, impulse of uh, energy travels down the nerve uh, to the hand, and that's called nerve conduction study. So they basically introduce a stimuli, a, a shock, an electrical shock. It's not that bad, though. It's like if you've ever shocked yourself with a lighter when you're a kid, you take the lighter apart and then shock yourself with a little battery that goes to the lighter. Um, that's what it feels like. So it's not a terrible, terrible test or anything. Um, and, and, and you can actually prove, uh, or, or demonstrate carpal tunnel syndrome with that, but that requires, you know, usually another visit to somebody that can't fix the problem. Um, but, but can diagnose it. But now with the ultrasound getting better and better, uh, we, we can now actually make that diagnosis with ultrasound here in the office, which doesn't require any shocking. um, but we basically just measure the, the area of the, uh, median nerve. So area Is You remember like, what is it, pi r squared? Is that area of a circle? I I think that's right. Yeah, Yes, Um, it is. Is it it 2 pi r squared? I don't remember if it's volume or area. But anyway, we're measuring the area of the circle. And so we measure the median nerve. A normal median nerve, even in a a person with big nerves, because every nerve size varies, just like their height varies and everything else, would be less than 10 millimeters squared. So anything 10 millimeters squared or less. And generally, on average, it's going to be between the 7 to 9 millimeters squared. Range that the nerve, the area of the nerve should be. If we um, look at that nerve and it's greater than 10 or greater, we know that it's abnormal. But if it's 10 or greater in the presence of symptoms, clinical findings, we're pretty confident, meaning like over 98% confident, this is indeed carpal tunnel syndrome. And so the question should be. So I'm going to I'm I'm going to preach for a minute um, because another one of my pet peeves is. Like you like hey, you should splint that and you'll be fine. So you you are night splints and, and insurance companies make us do this stuff and then we know and we're not even hopeful, we don't have faith in, in the what we're doing because but but we're forced to do it. Like, hey, wear night splints, you'll be better. And and so you do this trial of night splints. And I would say this. It really depends how big your nerve is, whether conservative management is going to work or not. And currently, we, we don't have that study, but we, we know from what we're finding, and we, we wrote a publication, but in that publication, if your nerve is 15 millimeters squared or bigger, so, so it's two-thirds bigger than it should be, it generally doesn't respond to conservative management. So cortisone injections, they may last for three weeks, and then your symptoms are right back. Splinting. We, we can do it, and it helps a little bit, but does it resolve the symptoms? Um, those generally need to, need to have a carpal tunnel release. So we, we actually have to do something to free up that, um, that, that median nerve. Otherwise, it doesn't get bigger because it just keeps swelling and swelling and swelling, and the carpal tunnel is only a finite space. It can't get bigger unless we release a part of it. And so, so we have the technology now that we can actually judge whether or not conservative management will work or probably fail. Um, but we still walk through that, that, that sequence of conservative management, meaning, you know, possibly physical therapy, possibly night splinting, possibly cortisone injections, those types of things that would uh, that, that would, would basically change.
2: So Great. That, that's okay. really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I myself have had a nerve conduction study, so I disagree. I think it was very painful, but maybe <laughs> I'm just a wimp. Um, but Yes, no. she is. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about ultrasound and how we can use ultrasound to help us look specifically at the obedient nerve um, and measure the area. So if somebody came into your office and they had one that was between that 10 and 15 millimeter squared mark. At that point, what would be your recommendation for them? What path would you take?
3: So generally, we do the conservative management. So we try them in night splints for about three months. And you can't, I mean, you have to you have to give night splints a long time. Um, and they, they, they make 100 different kind of night splints. So basically, it's, it's patient preference. Um, having had carpal tunnel myself, I like a, a night splint that doesn't have Velcro on it because every time I... I, I move a lot at night. I scratch my face with a Velcro and it wakes me up. And so I prefer not to have the Velcro on it. But they they, they have any kind of for that. There's some hand therapists that do a fantastic job um, that maybe that, that will be helpful. Um, and then cortisone injections. But cortisone injections, here's, here's the other thing with cortisone injection. If you can't put that crap where it belongs, it's not going to do as good a job as if you do. So hence, ultrasound guided cortisone injections i believe will do better we know that they're more efficacious than a blinded or a palpation based injection um so if you can actually do a procedure around the median nerve and free up some scar tissue at the same time that may work better than just a palpation based injection so like in in some of those iffy patients we will say the median nerve is 11 to 12 and they've had a cortisone injection before they get here we'll repeat it um, if it's far enough out um, just to prove to ourselves that that first one was in the right spot
1: uh, oh, that makes sense because a lot of times people um, having these cortisone injections may be going somewhere where they don't have ultrasound guidance and they're just doing them blindly so they they really right. don't know if they got it in the right place or not
3: yeah. And historically that's how it's been done, which is, you know, if you use image guidance enough, you're, you're amazed like, Oh my goodness, I would never do this without image guidance. <laughs> yeah. I could and probably not hurt somebody, but it's, it, it, what truly amazes me is how many times the median nerve has just been skewered and the person turned out. Okay. I wow. mean, and, and you know, there's, there's no, but we can totally miss it and avoid it now. So, you know, we should, I think. And, and we can get the, the, the medication at the right level yeah. so instead of putting it superficial, we can actually get it where it belongs. And then, be assured that, hey, we actually did this. It didn't work. Let's move on.
2: Yeah. Right. You don't have to do it two or three times.
1: Absolutely. Yep. So if you have a patient that you've gone through that conservative therapy and, and they still aren't uh, improving, then uh, you know, basically their option uh, would be either having the traditional surgical procedure, or there are some less invasive ultrasound-guided procedures that are available as well. And so can you kind of um, discuss those different treatment options and what the benefits and risk and recovery time are associated with these?
3: Yeah. So so historically, um, the most commonly done, not even historically, even today, the most com- commonly done procedure is what's called the mini-open, where they put a... Uh, uh, an incision on I, I put the, I say they because I don't actually do this procedure but there's an incision on the uh, palm of your hand uh, just distal just down or away from your wrist where your wrist bends It's called your wrist crease um, it's a it's, it's about a two centimeter incision um, that, that is placed there and they dissect down onto the what's called the ligament that creates the roof of the carpal tunnel. And the goal of any one of these th- th- procedures we're about to talk about is to release that ligament um, or open up that ligament, which creates space in the carpal tunnel. So, the, so basically the, the nerve can breathe. And so the mini open is just you go from the outside in and dissect down, cut it, uh, missing you know, all the, all the uh, important structures, and then sew it back up. Um, great. It's a great procedure historically has worked very well and continues to work very well. As far as treating carpal tunnel syndrome, the downside of that procedure is you're in splints for at least two weeks, sometimes four weeks, and you're out of commission. If you're, if you're actually use your hands, you're out of commission for about four weeks. Um, and if you have bilateral symptoms, it's generally done one at a time because you can't be basically incapacitated with both hands for that, that long, that, that long a period of time. Um, so that it's, it's, this, it's actually not the release of the ligament that creates the downtime. It's the cutting of the skin that creates the downtime. So the healing of the skin after the after the procedure, generally also in most cases. So the the, the vast majority of cases done with general anesthetics. So it's actually done in the OR um, for you know a tiny procedure. So um, good news is you wake up and it's done, and then <laughs> you, you know you, you have a splint on a stuff. And then there's um, probably the next most popular would be the endoscopic release. Uh, which is done through an endoscope endoscope means you just see it on a camera um and this incision is on your wrist which is a lot less downtime um so you 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 put a scope in and you see the structures from the um inside out and then you reach up with the um knife and cut it so you so, so basically you, you cut the uh ligament from the inside out and the downtime is generally about 2 weeks with that one um, not as much splinting, a couple stitches, um, I mean, three or four stitches to, to sew up that little incision. is about a centimeter big, um, in order to get the scope, the scope in and also works very well. That one, as far as like, um, I guess... Possibilities of, of poor outcomes. is probably the highest possibility of poor outcome. But generally, experienced docs with that do a fantastic job. So that one, that one is, is done fantastic in the hands of is that, um, good docs. Is
1: that under general anesthesia as well, or is yeah, that in
3: office? Yeah, yeah, that one has to be done under general anesthesia because it requires a tourniquet. In both um, those procedures, in, in most cases, it requ- requires a tourniquet. A tourniquet is just something that stops the blood flow um, to the to the hand. But tourniquets hurt a lot if you're awake. Mm-hmm. Um, they stop the blood flow, but they just – patients can't tolerate it when they're awake um, for, in, for, for any period of time. So that, that kind of inhibits a, that procedure being done in the office, even though, I mean, theoretically it could be done in the office, um, but it would hurt a lot. Um, and then there's um, the procedure that I do. Um, we use we, – we do an ultrasound-guided carpal tunnel release. So the whole thing is visualized from the outside in but I can see every, all the structures. So I don't have to dissect down. So I don't have to open it up and then look for it. I can see it through the skin because of the ultrasound technology. We put a four millimeter incision. So half the size, well, a quarter of the size of the open, half the size of the endoscopic. Um, and it doesn't even require a stitch when we're done. Actually, we put a, wow. a, a, a stereo strip on our bandage to keep it closed and, and, and that's it. Cause it's not even big enough for a stitch, but we put a four millimeter incision. um, at the wrist crease so it's not in the palm and then we put a device up under the transverse carpal ligament and because i can see the nerve and the artery we can make sure everything's out of the way prior to even cutting anything Mm -hmm. and then a little knife pops up and we release the transverse carpal ligament that way as far as downtime if you're like in a, a job that requires typing you're back to work the next day. If you're in a a, a job that requires you running a a, a piece of equipment, a shovel, uh, uh, um, you know, heavy equipment, using your hands a lot, you're out of work for about four days. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just want that little incision to close. Uh, completely before we do it. There is pain. I mean, because we're cutting a ligament, people are like, "Well, is it pain-free?" No, it's not pain-free. Not after the fact. It's going to hurt for you know two to four weeks when you bang it, stretch it, those types of things. But that pain is not an indication of anything going wrong because we just purposely cut a ligament. Um, right. As far as how we do it in the office, it's done with uh, local anesthesia, which means we just numb the snot out of it so you don't feel anything. <laughs> we don't have to. We don't have to put a tourniquet on it um, because because you know in this case uh blood flow or um uh, fluid increases the visualizations of the nerve um so we can uh then do what, I mean, we actually see it not better per se, but we can actually see it just as well as we normally would have versus an endoscope. You bleed into the space, you then obstruct your field of view. But in this case, we don't have obstruction of field of view secondary to we're using ultrasound, which does well with fluid. So um, we can see everything we need to uh, at that time. We go, and then most importantly, we see the nerves that we don't want to hit and the arteries we don't want to hit before we're even close to them. Um, so as far as safety goes, a very, very safe procedure that can be done in the office in a matter of minutes um, with very little downtime. Um, I guess the only, I, I make it sound amazing, right? Like this is what everybody should be doing. Right. The, da- the downside is, um, the ultrasound ability. So, um, unless you take time to learn the ultrasound, learn the structures, uh, learn the anatomy, it, the, the, the procedure is a little bit difficult, but can be taught. I mean, so it, it, it's something we, we we teach all the time. But unless you're used to looking at anatomy through ultrasound, it makes it a little bit tricky. So the the adoption rate has been really slow, based on yeah, I, I guess it, you know, it's hard to tre- teach a old dog new tricks, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of is. Um, you just have to learn this 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 imaging technology before um, you you can start doing the the procedure
1: absolutely and then training is definitely an important aspect of uh, utilizing ultrasound and performing procedures and we'll talk about that as well um, but you know definitely this sounds like the the better option um, among all of those that you described from a, a lot of different perspectives but um, and, and um, so with that most of your patients have responded well and and is there anybody that um, is not a candidate for for that uh, minimally invasive procedure
3: um currently with uh, i mean so there's a few devices on the uh, on the market for ultrasound guided procedures and currently i'm not aware of any that um can be used in a revision meaning if you've had a carpal tunnel release in the past um it, currently the devices that we have or that i'm aware of aren't indicated in revision meaning they're not indicated for uh, a repeat procedure okay. even though they would probably do fantastic we currently don't have the indication um so the, so as far as um getting your insurance company to pay for it and or not being off-label la- off off-label with the device yeah we're we're, we're we can't do it that way so um not yet anyway it, it it'll happen but it hasn't happened yet
1: yeah right
3: um Oh, so. and then the, uh, oh, there's a couple other ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I, th- I, thought, I thought I thought I thought a couple more. So if your anatomy is aberrant, meaning or um, different congenitality from birth, um, sometimes that would inhibit the ability to do the procedure. So if your artery is crossing through the ligament or your nerve is crossing through the ligament and we can't move that anatomy out of the way, then you would be better off with an open procedure so they can dissect down onto it um, and uh, and and be able to visualize it from the outside in.
1: Well, that, that makes sense. Well, the positive part of that is that you're evaluating them with ultrasound and you know that in advance so that you can make the appropriate recommendation. So I know what I would choose <laughs> as I'm sitting here with all my numbness and my fingers going, yep, that's what I got. <laughs> um, but at any rate, you brought up about training, and um, I think that is an important um, area to discuss because I know a lot of times um, procedures are available and... and uh, Clinicians want to try them, but there always is going to be a learning curve in utilizing a new device. But also, in this regard, you have to know how to scan and utilize ultrasound. So. Um, as in your opinion, would you recommend that uh, most clinicians who are interested in maybe performing the, this uh, procedure that they first start out with learning how to actually scan ultrasound first because you got to be able to visualize your anatomy and know what you're looking at and, and then learn needle guidance techniques or, in this case, scalpel-guided techniques. So what's your opinion on that?
3: Yeah, so I guess – I have very strong opinions on that. Um, uh, I would say it even goes a step further. First of all, you got to know your anatomy. <laughs> Second <Yeah>. of all, <laughs> then you learn to scan. So, you know, what you're identifying, start with some injections and some guided procedures. So you're actually doing procedures in which you're guiding an object, in this case, a needle, um, or a device in, in, into the hand. Um, and then work on cadavers. I mean, so, you, I mean, do, do a lot of the training on cadavers first. So you know what the tissue feels like. You know what the device feels like in your hand. You know, it, it's kind of a, um, uh, a feel type thing so you know you know how these things feel in real tissue and then you move on to treating uh patients um and oftentimes i mean i mean in, in people i've worked with we go to their office or uh somebody goes to their office um and and assist them uh with the procedures the first time not really, when i say assist basically just build confidence in in what you're doing what you're seeing uh secondary confirmation like yes that is indeed i would agree that's the piece of anatomy this is you know what you're looking at um and then and then move on i mean so work you know work with somebody that's maybe expert in the field and then become an expert yourself so
1: that that sounds like a good uh step-by-step plan uh, for beginning to perform these procedures and um I think that uh, a lot of times that that is something that, you know, when we're working with different people at Gulf Coast that, you know, they've got it in their mind. I just want to do ultrasound guided injections or I want to do ultrasound guided procedures. But they forget the part of it that you really got to be able to know your anatomy and see the anatomy and differentiate the different structures. And that's always a hard um, concept to to get straight you know before diving into something so um that that definitely is something that we we kind of outline to people when they're considering coming to a course which um we do discuss these things in our courses as well in fact i think you do that talk dr Schaffel. yeah we
3: we, we, yeah we do lots of those but that's why i'd say without being um hundred percent biased but yeah you guys are the best at teaching this um and 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 we have instructors there and representatives there from all over the country um that that some are expert in nerves some are expert in musculoskeletal conditions but the thing about when you start doing procedures you're also responsible what you for, for the objects you did not recognize um, right. so if it's on, the, if, if, if it's on the screen, you're actually responsible for that object as well. <laughs> and, and hopefully you recognize that thing. Like, instead of like, Oh crap, I didn't even see that. Um, you know, it's like, fine. Where's Waldo? Waldo was always there, but we got to actually know where he's at, um, right. uh, t- type thing. Um, and, and it's not impossible actually just write, write a little bit of work. And, and it's, I, I would say it's, it, it's what we're doing anyway. And, um, uh, yeah, getting better is definitely not a problem. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to make make it sound like that. Like I'm the only guy in the world that can do this. I'm not. Um, this can definitely be taught and definitely be learned.
1: Oh, absolutely. And uh, what a benefit for your patients to be able to have those options to to choose from, mm-hmm. um, from conservative management to um, Ultrasound guided minimally invasive procedures before having to jump into major major surgery under anesthesia. So, yeah. um, in fact, from a from the standpoint of the patient, um, uh, what are some good questions that uh, you would say that a patient should ask when they're being evaluated for uh, suspected carpal tunnel syndrome when they go well, to a, the
3: first- yeah. The first thing I, I talked about is make sure it's not coming out of your neck. Right. So if you're being tra- treated <laughs> for carpal tunnel and you, they're treating your neck, you're in the wrong spot. You should leave. Um, and uh, the, the next thing is, uh, as, a, as a patient, am I sure you hit the median nerve when you did that cortisone injection? Um, And the reality is unless they guided it, they cannot be sure that they hit the median nerve or around the median nerve or even close to the median nerve when they did when they did that injection. So I I would make sure I would would ask that question. Hey, I I want a cortisone injection. Do you guide your injections? Um, Can you see the needle around the median nerve? are you going to stick my median nerve or you can put the medication in my median nerve, which we don't want. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So so those, those, those are very, very important. Um, and the other question is, um, I mean, unfortunately in medicine, I would ask the doc, how many of you, uh, you know, how many of these procedures have you done? Um, and unfortunately for the docs, I had to start with number one too, actually. (laughs) Um, but I guarantee you my proficiency and my ability have improved over the last several hundred, um, that, that, that we've done. So unfortunately they're, there is a learning curve. Um, so and like you asked me as a from a patient perspective, I'd be asking that because I actually know where I came from and where I'm at now. Um, right. But but it not from the doctor aspect, you might want not want to hear that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, in this day and age, um, you know, everyone gets their information from different places and, you know, YouTube and all over the place. And it's not necessarily the most appropriate. So, you know, our goal and in, in having doing these podcasts and talking about different ultra um, Ultrasound applications and uh, treatment options and things is not only to uh, help guide our our clinicians and sonographers that we work with on a regular basis, but also um, the patients to make them more informed so that they can make the most appropriate decision for them. So you know, I think that's I think that um, you know this is the day and age of mass communication and. Uh, you just have to you know the physicians and the other clinicians you know they they know the patients are out there looking things up before they get into your office and <laughs> be be ready, ready, to right? diagnosed themselves <laughs> yeah. exactly
3: right. like on our, like if you like if you look at the sunday paper actually that comes through i'm in uh, utah I mean, there'll, there'll be advertisements for car- carpal tunnel with laser treatments and sa- sa- sound treatments and wow. whatever, it, whatever it may be. But it always comes back to that question how big's your nerve? If your nerve is 15, 20, 25 millimeters squared, it's not going to respond to those things. I, I mean, you could flog it to death if you wanted to, and it's not going to respond to those <laughs> things. Um, so I think it's fantastic to know the size of the nerve to, to at least give a person uh, honest uh, opinion on expectations because right. um, and that's I have lots of pet peeves by the way and I'm going to express another one if, <laughs> if if you like if if you I mean it's like plantar fasciitis we'll we'll call that if you push on somebody's heel and they have heel pain or they get up in the morning and it's stiff they have they meet the criteria for diagnosis of plantar fasciitis that does not describe the disease process just like in the median nerve it, you have carpal tunnel does not describe the severity of the carpal tunnel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even describe what the nerve looks like on, on the carpal tunnel. So giving actually realistic expectations is a huge part of what we do. And so, so we're not underselling it or overselling it or like skipping steps. Um, but unless somebody's looked at it like, like plantar fascia, it's all called plantar fascia. It could be partially torn. It could be torn on the top. It could be torn on the bottom. It could be torn in the middle, but it's all under the same diagnosis but each one of those things is treated differently just like the median nerve depending on the stage or uh, or place in the game you're at it should be treated differently but if they're all being treated the same well, we're still living you know 30 years in the past um yeah based on what what technology we have available to us and, and and that's where we live at the moment it doesn't go faster than that but that's but like presenting realistic expectations is a huge part of what i do and so and and skipping steps if we need to like if your nerves 20 millimeters squared I don't know why we're screwing around with everything else in between. I mean, let's just yeah. release it and, 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 and move on. So. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I wish you were here in Florida. <laughs> no. I, could
3: be. I could be. We've been trying to get you here, right? <laughs> Back here, I should
1: say. You are in Florida. <laughs> we, absolutely. So, um, Tricia, you have any um, comments that you wanted to make?
2: I saw you writing over there, so I was like... "Mm." Well, my aunt's been through carpal tunnel with both of her wrists, so I've watched her go through pretty much everything you've described today, and the only thing I think she hasn't had done was somebody using ultrasound guidance to treat it. She had the, I think she had the mini open the way that you described it, and mm-hmm. I know she struggled. So, and you know, I'm being a sonographer. I myself have pain and numbness and tingling, and as right. Lori said, she has it. So, all the repetitive it's, motion. It's right? good to know what our future holds exactly. for us, and, um. and
3: who's going to be treating us. <laughs> It's really funny because I, I actually – so we take care of lots of physicians and lots of dentists and lots of orthodontists because we all use our hands all day long. And, and, and those are the people that are most risk. We used to think like typing does it. it but those people aren't as high a risk as manual – like people that actually use their hands manually like mm. dentists, orthodontists, uh, you know, docs, OB-GYN. I mean everybody that's kind of doing dexterity t- type stuff are uh, at a little higher risk. And if you're female, you're much higher risk, um, unfortunately. Uh, but um, –
2: why is a female uh, at a higher risk? Smaller? No, no, smaller I, no idea. Hmm. No. Unfor-
3: just unfortunate. I don't yeah.
2: know. <laughs> well, my uh, my aunt's a professional sewer. She she sews things for people, so I can see why she's gotten into the situation she has with both of her hands. Yeah, she's right. always pinching stuff. <laughs> is there anything you could yeah. do to prevent carpal tunnel? Um.
3: Yeah. I guess I guess avoid the repetitive nature of life. Yeah. I mean, If we're uh, doing, if we if we just don't you know, have that repetitive stuff that we're doing. I don't know. And your question, how do you avoid that? And the answer is, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, So if we mixed up our tasks a little bit and did a little less of what we're normally doing, maybe that would prevent it. Um, But I mean, carpal tunneling happens during pregnancy and I don't know why. Hmm. I mean, we, we describe it as a, you know, compression. You have this increased compression, but the the carpal tunnel didn't change size during pregnancy. It doesn't get smaller um, during pregnancy. So maybe it's fluid, fluid, like circulating fluid volume, uh maybe it's the way we behave i don't know during pregnancy the answers i don't know wow. um but uh yeah but it seems it seems to be more associated with people that have repetitive manual tasks um that they're doing
1: yeah Yep. well we got the whole ultrasound profession have prospective patients for you yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah that's what I'm saying so we do we, I, like, we have people coming all the time and they won't tell their surgical colleagues that they came here I'm oh, like wow. why well we didn't want to offend everybody at the hospital by not going to the OR and getting this done like okay whatever <laughs> whatever yeah
2: but Abby, um be i will be telling everybody but they can only get away with that <laughs> yeah. because the recovery time is so fast exactly
3: right I'm fine
2: well we're starting to uh,
1: get to the time of wrapping it up, do you have any other um, pet peeves or um,
3: know, other purples. things that
1: pearls <laughs> or whatever that you'd like to, to talk about?
3: <laughs> I got a lot of pet peeves, but nothing to, <laughs> would be appropriate for this.
1: Okay, well, when you're down here next time, we can talk about it <laughs> over a gelato, right? <laughs>
3: I, I, I pay I pay people for that.
1: <laughs> well, we um, you know this discussion has been very interesting um, for I think both for the clinicians as well as sonographers um, who uh, are involved with scanning, doing MSK scanning or want to be involved with that or begin to offer some minimally invasive treatment options for carpal tunnel and, and also for the general public who may not be aware of the various treatment options that are available and some of the questions that they should ask when they're being evaluated. So um, I appreciate your um, sharing all of those uh, things with us today. And uh, so for the clinicians and sonographers who are listening in today, if you'd like more information on hands-on MSK ultrasound skills training or other educational resources, check out our website at gcs.com, or give us a call at 727-363-4500 for more details on educational offerings.
2: Yeah, and if you're a patient interested in learning more about the various non-surgical options for treating carpal tunnel syndrome as well as a host of other orthopedic and MSK conditions, you can. Check out Dr. Chappell's website. It's intuitmedical.com, and that's IN, the number two itmedical.com He has extensive information along with videos on his website to inform patients of potential orthopedic treatment options. Better yet, schedule an appointment to see him for an evaluation of your condition and you might get a good laugh out of it too. Yeah, he might share some of his pet peeves with you.
1: (laughs) So, Yeah, therapeutic, exactly. (laughs) So, well it's been a pleasure having you join us today, Dr. Chappell, so thank you again and um, thanks for sharing your passion, for helping so many people get back to whatever they want to do with little discomfort and minimal downtime this is definitely an area that um, uh, many people could benefit from without out out having a surgical procedure
2: yeah for sure yeah so thank you Dr. Chappell you're welcome Yeah. all right so we want to thank everyone for joining us today Um, we want you to be sure to stay tuned for upcoming episodes on MSK and other ultrasound related topics hope you guys all have a great day thanks again Dr. Chappell All right. Thanks again.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sonography Lounge. Don't forget, if you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Sonography Lounge and Twitter at Sonography LNG. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to send an email to us at sonographylounge at gmail.com. Have a great week and scan, scan, scan.